everyone. It's Ashley here. Thanks for joining us again at Mentor Chat. We're excited to talk with you all today more about the Becoming a Better Mentor Guide. And today we're going to talk about a really fun chapter, um, chapter three, Making Room for Fun and Play. Um, this one was written by Michael Karcher of the University of Texas, San Antonio. And we have also have a really fun guest um, we brought on Kelly Rotman from the Carnegie Libraries of Pittsburgh. And of course, Sophia is here as well. But I will pass it over to Kelly to introduce herself and the libraries. Awesome. Thank you, Ashley and Sophia, for having me. I'm super excited to talk with both of you today. So yes, I am Kelly Rotmond, she, her, Teen Services Coordinator at Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh. And in my role, I work to support all of our teen serving staff across the library's 19 locations within the city of Pittsburgh, which is a true joy. And, and part of the reason I'm so happy to talk with you all today is that we work really hard as library staff to be caring adults and everyday mentors in the lives of kids and teens um, who visit the library, some of whom we see every day, some we see once a week or once a month. Um, but no matter how frequently you're visiting, we are trying to be a welcome, caring face for all youth who come into our spaces. Well, Kelly, thank you uh, for being here. And I know that I have enjoyed uh, some great youth summers at the library um, and even thinking about some of the opportunities that I had to, to actually even study there uh, when I was both in high school and in college. Uh, so we appreciate you being here and sharing with us today. Uh, I'm Sophia Duck from the Mentoring Partnership and, and glad to be a part of today's conversation. So Chapter three, right? We're talking about making room for fun and play. Uh, so Kelly, you're you're a fan. We've seen you in a lot of trainings. You have an opportunity <laughs> to uh, share our trainings with a lot of your colleagues and friends at the Carnegie Libraries of Pittsburgh. Uh, so you know that the mentoring partnership values the opportunity uh, to collaborate with you all. And we appreciate that all of the staff um, sees themselves as everyday mentors. Uh, so before we jump into today's conversation, do you mind spending a minute just to talk about how the Carnegie Libraries of Pittsburgh utilize the Search Institute's developmental relationship framework? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Sophia, as you know, we are big fans of the Search Institute's developmental relationships framework at the library. We actually talk about it as one of the foundational pieces of research that we use when we are onboarding new children and teen serving staff at the library. Um, it's something we spend a lot of time on with those new staff both talking about one-on-one. Um, -on -one. It is integrated into other trainings that we do. So we try to make connections back to it whenever we can in our work. Um, and maybe about two years ago, we took a really deep dive into it with all of our children and teen staff at the time where each month we focused on a different piece of the framework and we asked staff to... Um, think intentionally ahead of time about what actions they would take 
or what words they would use that month related to that part of the framework, and then put that into action in their work with young people. And then at the end of the month, we had a big um, period of reflection where everybody shared back, you know, what was the thing that they had decided they were going to focus on? And how did it go? Like, did it go well? Did it feel comfortable? Did it feel hard for them to do that new thing that maybe they weren't doing before? Um, did they have the opportunity to try it out at all? Um, and we have heard from some staff that that was one of the most meaningful things that we have done in, in some time with staff. So that was really, really cool to hear. Um, I'll also share, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the library has a substitute pool. So we have a group of staff who kind of float around to our different locations um, and fill in when people are on vacation or something else has come up. Um, and those subpool staff are really kind of generalists. They're meant to pitch in and help out with anything. And so recently we have done trainings with those subpool staff um, on interacting with young people and have specifically called out the developmental relationships framework as a tool for them. So that if they're a person who maybe hasn't really worked with or interacted with young people before, and they're not quite even sure how to start a conversation with a young person, um, we kind of talk about the framework as like a cheat sheet or a script that they can use. Um, if they just remember a few of the prompts from the framework, that they can use those in their interactions with young people to kind of put themselves out there and try to start that friendly interaction, even if maybe it's not something they um, feel like they've had a lot of experience with. And that has gone over really well, too. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's exceptional, Kelly. Yeah, kudos to you and the rest of the team um, for really thinking about how to intentionally value how to develop relationships with all young people, right? Because you don't get a chance to see your young people on a regular basis. In some instances, uh, there's, you know, there's seasons where you may see a young person two weeks in a row. And then there's another season where you might see them four months in between sessions. So uh, I really appreciate that you all are not only participating in the trainings, but actually utilizing uh, the curriculum and really thinking about how to be more mentor-like in all of your experiences. So uh, while thinking about how you're already doing this work and you're being amazing in these playful spaces, uh, I really want us to think about uh, how this chapter, and again, this is Making Room for Fun and Play uh, by Michael Karcher of the University of Texas, San Antonio, where we talk about at the beginning of this chapter, uh, there's a, a great statement that says, being playful is a critical tool in a mentor's relationship building toolkit. Uh, so as you just shared some of great ways of how you're using the developmental relationship framework, man, that's not an easy thing to say several <laughs> times, right? But as you think about this amazing framework, uh, we really want to think about how you all are really incorporating play into your experiences at the library. Yeah, um, this is something I think we think about on a lot of different levels, and I don't know that it's always visible um, to folks. So, you know, we are really striving for our library spaces to be welcoming neighborhood spaces for young people. 
Um, and welcoming spaces need to be colorful and vibrant and full of friendly people, but they also need to be full of fun things to do. Um, so I think you both know this. You've been to many library spaces. They are full of um, games, toys, art supplies, coloring pages, um, building blocks, kind of anything you could think of, sewing machines, um, anything that is going to help activate that space with young people um, so that they can come in. And even if they're just looking to hang out and socialize, they still might find something that they can spend a little bit of time on either by themselves, you know, coloring, making art, maybe with one other person. Connect Four is still hugely popular with young people. Um, so, you know, you can have your one-on-one -on -one game of Connect Four going. That doesn't take a lot of time, which is great because so many youth um, come to our spaces for various lengths of time. Um, some can stay for hours and some are only, you know, dropping by for 15 minutes or half an hour. Um, so those things you can do really quickly, but still feel like you are a part of the space and that there is um, a space for play and fun. And then, you know, thinking about having things that are a little more complex, like sewing machines or even hand sewing materials, um, those a lot of times are things that we use in our more formal programs with teens. Um, but by providing that exposure and experience in that formal but still really fun and playful program time, it lets young people know that we have those things for them whenever they need them. Um, and so something I was thinking about earlier today was recently we had a teenager come into the library um, and he had like a cooling mask that he would wear when he was going to football practice and it had ripped and he was really upset because he wanted it to be fixed so that he could wear it to practice and he would feel better. Um, and because of spending time in the library's teen space and engaging with all of the different types of materials that we have there, he knew that he could come in and get a needle and thread and get assistance, like quickly sewing up his cooling mask so that he could get to football practice and feel like comfortable and confident and like he had what he needed. Um, so it's just cool to see things that, you know, maybe other people see kids and teens doing in the library space or see library staff doing playing Jenga or Uno or Connect Four or sewing with a young person. I think a lot of times other adults see that and it doesn't look like work, um, but we know that it is because it is building all of these really key things that are talked about in chapter three of this guide. And then seeing how that fun and play stays with a young person and they like connect back to the library when maybe they're in need of a different type of support. One of the things that I really love to see in the library too is how the staff finds what the kids love and then builds off of that. You talked about Connect Four and I remember um, there being a Connect Four tournament like at the library because that's what it was identified that that's what the kids like love and they're having a lot of fun. They liked competition. And so it was turned into like a, a tournament and it was 
yeah, I remember um, seeing that happen and that was a, a really good time. Yeah, Ashley, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think as much as possible, we talk about letting youth lead and exactly what you're saying. Like, what is it that they're interested and excited about? And like following that excitement for those positive experiences of play and or exploration in the library. You also, you mentioned in your talk, a lot of people don't see this as work, but it is. And one of the things I do talk about in chapter three is sometimes it can be tough for adults to embrace that playful side and struggle with that a lot. Or when we mentor like a young person, especially in a program, sometimes they're, we're met with all of these goals that they want the young person to accomplish, or we want the best for this young person. So like, we're going to set goals and we're going to like tackle this, but so much of it is about play rather than that. So how do you, how do you at the library make the mentoring like playful and intentional and also help your staff people embrace that side of themselves? Yeah. Oh, Ashley, great question. I think I mean, honestly, one of the first conversations that I have with our new teen serving staff is talking about how a lot of the interactions they're going to have with teens or young people might not look like work to other adults and that that's okay because there's all this research that backs up the impact of those interactions and that making time to sit with a young person and play, whether it is the Connect Four or it's coloring, um, or it's, you know, them both individually working on art projects, but having a conversation while they're doing it, that that play is beneficial, and that that is work, and that there's value in that, and that we want them to spend time doing those things um, as much as they're able to. I feel like it's important to communicate that um, early on to folks, because I think so many folks still have this really um, different idea about what it is to be in a library and to work in a library and what that should look like. Um, so just being really upfront and direct with our new team members about, you know, your work is going to look like play sometimes or your work is going to be play sometimes and just how valuable that is and to not feel like weird about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking like this would be great, right? We just sit here and play Connect Four tournaments all day. Free to the people. What exactly does that mean? Does it mean you're free to be you? Yep. As many books as I want. Yep. Really? Uh huh. Quieres decir que puedo estudiar todo el tiempo que quiera? You bet. Games? Oh yeah. You're telling me the kids can play in the spaces, enjoy story time, sing, dance, and explore? Yes. Teens can hang out, adults can chill out, and kids can wig out. Be a part of all of it. Get your library card at any location or online today. Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh. Free to the, to the people. people. But yeah, I I I I appreciate like that there's a, a level of friendliness that builds. Um you had mentioned earlier, you had said that there's a bridge that allows uh you your team and the young people to kind of have a connection. Um, and as I think about this chapter, there were conversations in there about how play allows to bridge the uh, a gap between mistrust, right? So when we think about the ways that you are inviting young people in, the friendliness of the staff with the addition of um, playfulness, um, can you talk about how your team 
really works to build trust. And this can also be uh, tapping into, again, the developmental relationship framework that you opened up by talking about too. Yeah. I think one of the things that really helps build trust is that our teen serving staff, you know, work in the same neighborhood location all of the time. So even if a young person only comes in once every few months, like it's pretty likely they're going to see the same um, or some of the same faces when they visit the library and begin to know that that's a person that they can depend on. Um, I think one of the other ways that we talk a lot about building trust with young people is by talking about um, simple interactions from the Fred Rogers Center and how those like very small moments in a day um, build up over time to have a big impact. So, you know, taking the time to greet someone and share your name and ask their name and then remembering their name the next time you see them and using it remembering something they told you about their life and bringing it up again and checking in. Um, those like little tiny things that can happen in the like maybe 15 seconds that you might have an interaction with a young person as they're like running into the library to tell their sibling that it's time to go and running back out the door um, is just like one piece of that relationship building and trust building. Um, so we talk a ton about simple interactions in addition to the developmental relationships framework, and then just kind of like go from there. Yeah, I think that's great. And I even just want to go back to the story of the young person who wanted to sew their Kohli mask, right? Like, wow, that was like very simple. It was probably easy for uh, someone from... The library to be like, oh yeah, we have it. I'll sit here. I'll, you can watch me do this. That young person is like never going to forget that. Um, and as you talk, like, uh, I mean, I open by talking about some of my experiences, like that's something that I always will go back to is the things that I learned at the library that were caught and not necessarily were taught to me. Like this is something that I can do. Um, or this is, I'm talking to another young person like, hey, did you know that they have these resources there? So I think it all comes together very well. And, and again, I appreciate you for being here and reminding us of all the greatness uh, that can come from participating in the library's uh, programs. So uh, as we're talking today, just a reminder, we're talking about chapter three, making room for fun and play, uh, becoming a better mentor. There's a lot of people who are listening to us, uh, hopefully a lot of mentors who are really thinking about being more playful and less focused on hitting every goal in every single minute of their conversations with young people. Uh, but with that, I want us to also consider that there are cultural considerations as we think about how to help young people and making room for that fun and play. Uh, so culture here is thinking about gender and age. So Kelly, if you don't mind, do you mind uh, sharing with us uh, how you all plan out which activities you will host at the library, the time of year that you'll maybe have them, um, and what that looks like for you all. Yeah, sure. So I'll speak specifically to our work with teens, um, which in the library we consider anybody who is going into grades 6 through 12 to be a teenager um, and welcome them to spend time in our teen spaces and also um, in our teen programs. So 
Every CLP location um, across the city hosts a regularly occurring teen time. So that is when we have at least an hour of time set aside um, where there is some planned activity that is going to happen and be facilitated by a staff member. Um, And if there are opportunities for teens to step in and be the leader or the facilitator of the activity, um, we are always very happy for that to happen because teens often know so much more than we do about the things that they're interested in. Um, And it's really always our goal for our programs to be inspired by teens' interests. So it makes sense for them to be the ones helping their peers Um, or helping us uh, in those moments, because they, again, often know so much more than we do. Um, So in our teen teen time programs, we plan so many different types of things. We're really trying to hit all different kinds of learning styles, different interests, and also take into consideration that, you know, Sixth grade through 12th grade is a huge developmental age range. Um, There are sixth graders that are in totally different places than one another. So thinking about a sixth grader and a 12th grader and where they're at developmentally or in terms of their interests or like their socialization, it's just a huge range. Um, So when we're planning our activities, we're trying to keep all of that in mind. And I will say that we don't, Um, When we're planning activities, we, I can pretty confidently say, are never thinking like, this is going to be a great activity for boys or girls or, you know, um, again, because we're letting teens' interests lead us and we know that teens' interests like intersect all over the place, um, we just plan what we think teens are excited about or what they're telling us they're excited about. And it's always really interesting when we do activities that maybe other people think about as gendered and then hear their commentary on it. So Ashley, I feel like this may have been a thing when you were working at the library once upon a time. Um, I feel like whenever there is a jewelry making activity, everybody is into it. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your gender identity. Like everybody wants to make jewelry, whether it's for themselves or for their best friend or their best friend and their aunt and their mom and their, you know, grandma, like everyone wants to make as much jewelry as you will let them um, for themselves and every single person that they know. Um, And so I love those moments where we get to see everybody be excited about a thing and then, you know, have somebody be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe even this person was doing it. And having that moment of being able to say, like, yeah, this thing is for everybody who's into it. And all of these people were into it today. Um, Thinking again about age, we also recognize that there is a ton of crossover in what like elementary school age and middle school age kids are into. So if there is something that we can offer for both our kids club program, which is for kindergarten through fifth grade, and our teen time program for our sixth through 12th graders, but maybe plan the activity to happen a little bit differently based on the needs of those two different age ranges. Um, like we want to do that as much as possible because so often 
those elementary school age kids are like, I want to be a teen. I want to be in teen time. Um, so if we can do the same kinds of activities because there's that shared interest, but just make sure that the way that we're going about it works for those different age ranges, um, we're going to try to do that as much as we can too. Do you have any famous teen times? Are there any teen times that have happened that people maybe years ago that people still talk about or like what has become something that you have to do regularly because they love it so much? Oh my gosh, Ashley, what a (laughs) wild question. I will say that for me, it's really interesting to see like what remains popular forever or like what will come back around. So I have been working with teenagers for like 15 years now. And so it's been really interesting to think about um, the like middle 2000s when everyone wanted to make like duct tape wallets and duct tape iPod holders because everyone had iPods once upon a time. And then to see like that still be a thing that teens want to do like every couple of years, including all of a sudden again. Um, So it's interesting to see the things that come back. And I think, you know, that like teens will use a button maker and make customized buttons for eternity if you will let them. So everybody always loves that. They want to talk about it. Again, they want to make a button for every single person in their life. Um, please just let them make one more. Um, and I'm trying to think there's just, yeah, so many moments, I think both for groups of teens and individual teens who will come back and be like, I remember I did this thing, or even just, um, you know, someone was walking past a young adult who's no longer a teen in the library the other day. And this young adult now works with teenagers. And he was telling this group of teenagers that he was working with, like, I grew up here. I came up in here. Like I used to come to everything, every program. I was here all the time. I did it all. Um, And so just like getting to like be on the periphery of those moments because you don't always hear the impact Um, that the library actually is having on people. You know, not everybody comes back to share those things with you. So hearing it in passing, uh, the staff member who shared that with me the other day, like had said hello to this now adult, but then like kind of heard in passing his interaction with this group of teens he's working with. So Ashley, I went off on like a tangent there from your question. I'm thinking back to some of my time at the library too. And just remembering, I know we talked about the importance of like letting young people lead and just thinking about how important that is too, because you would not expect what is fun to like some young people. Like I, and it can be things that might even seem like productive to us or like goal oriented. And so it's really surprising because I remember doing cooking programs and when we got to make whipped cream, it was, they had so much fun. They loved like stirring constantly and whipping. And as an adult, you'd be like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to buy a canister or I'm just going to put it in like a blender or something. But, and it was so much fun for them. And also like building really wonderful skills to be able to cook for yourself um, and learning about the chemistry and like cooking. And so 
the importance of like trying new things and testing out new things and checking in with a young person along the way and like asking them what they think is fun because we may assume that we may know what is like fun or what could be fun, but it's not always, it's not always just like video games or going to like an arcade or it can be, you can find fun in really like simple things. I love that, Ashley. Yeah. And that, you know, being in that safe and supportive space to try something new for the first time and being encouraged if it doesn't turn out the way they think it's going to. Um, We have a lot of conversations about how to encourage teens through failure um, and through trying something new. Because a lot of times they're like, I don't want to do this thing, or I just want you to tell me how to do it and show me so that I'll do it right. And so trying to like help them feel comfortable with like finding their way through and maybe not having it go exactly the way that they want um, and still being supported by everybody in that space. And I think for sure that all of that was happening in those in those cooking programs and making whipped cream because that doesn't that definitely doesn't always go right <laughs> even for the adults right yeah. <laughs> i can only imagine myself trying to teach it and failing myself in front of them but uh this has been been great and uh again kelly we want to uh, thank you for joining us uh on today's mentor chat and focusing on this idea of making room for fun and play uh we have one more question for you after this but I mean, you've talked a lot about how the the developmental relationship framework um, has been of support for you. You talked about center interactions um, as a result of uh, Fred Rogers and um, just thinking about the fact that you all have wonderful personalities and want to encourage play as you're helping young people to develop. Um, So just any, you know, final thoughts or suggestions or... um, opportunities for growth for other organizations that may be listening or mentors as they think about how to be more mentor-like in these playful experiences with young people? Yeah, I, I really think the value, there's so much value in sharing the research behind the impact of play so that not only the mentors, but other folks who are maybe seeing the mentors at work, like fully understand like all the implications of those playful interactions and what that's building towards. Um, It's been really valuable for us to talk about that as a staff, but also to make sure that other staff within the library, like know that that's what's happening in those moments. Um, And I also just want to highlight, I just want to highlight the fact that Um, having adults involved in play often helps keep your spaces calmer. Um, And I don't know, I don't know how much we think about that or recognize that, but that if you are involved in those moments of play, even if you're like bouncing from group to group within your space um, and having quick interactions with them or, you know, playing one round of connect for and then moving on to another group that your continual presence, you know, all those young people knowing that you're there and that you're paying attention, uh, because you're there to support them, I think really helps the dynamic of whatever space you're in, um, and can help keep it calmer and feeling more friendly and welcoming for everybody. Um, And that's something that I have been thinking about a lot more. 
Thank you. That's a that's a helpful tip. I'm sure people will appreciate that. And something you don't you don't think about or not the way that we often perceive or talk about play. So on a note to end us on, we're, we spent this whole conversation talking about fun and play and fun and play at the library. And now everyone knows the library is a really fun place. So everyone should go to the library. You don't have to be quiet um, at the library anymore. So um, check out all of the programs. There's also a lot of fun programs for adults too. Like a lot of fun for those of us who have aged out of teen time. So yeah. But all that being said, thinking back to when you were a young person, maybe you had your own teen time that you like to go to, but can you reflect on a time when a caring adult in your life um, created a fun experience for you that has remained a lasting memory? I can. And I know you, you both know that sometimes I struggle to like think of this. Um, and so ever since my last conversation with you, I've been thinking about what I shared at that time about my third grade teacher, Mrs. Soden. Um, and this was a pretty intense fun experience. So this is one that like goes beyond the scope of the library. Um, but if it's okay with you too, for me to still talk about it because it really has like stuck with me all these years later. So when I was in third grade, we were learning about different types of um, like natural habitats. So we were learning about like woodlands and plains and rivers and swamps and all these different, you know, habitats for animals. And, um, and my teacher that year organized a field trip um, and I grew up in kind of a rural area in a, in a small town. And so we all went on a field trip to her house, which was like out in the country, um, which seems wild to think about. And we basically went on a nature hike through her, through her property, through her field, across her creek, um, into the woods on her neighbor's property, and just like kind of got to experience all these different habitats that we were learning about in school. Um, and before we had gone on this trip, we all made our own nature journals. So we all got to make a personalized nature journal. And then when we were on this like trek through all these different habitats, we were collecting specimens and like taping them into our nature journals and making notes about them. Um, and that I think about a lot because there were so many different types of learning that went into that experience, like that we as the students did to prepare for it, making our journals, thinking about, you know, what we were going to maybe put in there when we were on this journey, um, that she was connecting what we were reading about in our textbook to things that were actually tangible to us where we lived, um, which is so important for different learning styles. And so I reflect on that a lot, not because the library is going to take anyone on a nature journey of that magnitude like Mrs. Soden did, um, but just because I want to think about like what are the elements of that day, which I still think about um, all these years later, that can be represented in the experiences that we are able to support within a public library building. Wow, Kelly, what a great story and a wonderful memory, right? Really thinking about 
again, the fact that that's not something you could actually recreate for young people and that experience exactly, but the feeling behind it and the lasting memory is something uh, that we as mentors are all striving to to be able to build that connection for our young people. Uh, So on behalf of Ashley, Kelly, I just want to say thank you again for joining us today. Uh, We spent time talking about becoming a better mentor, um, chapter three, making room for fun and play. And uh, as we uh, sign off for today, I really want us to think about the fact that play can be the backdrop for conversations. So as you are working with your young people and you're spending time and we're so focused on goals and getting things done, also remember that play will allow you to kind of talk through and it could help you understand what challenges your young people may be going through or just give you uh, a little bit of background as to who they are as a person. Uh, So definitely consider not being so serious all the time, um, but allowing your young people to be young and have fun. Have a great day, everyone. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. In this episode, we talked with Kelly about chapter three of the Becoming a Better Mentor Guide, Making Room for Fun and Play. You can check out the full chapter on Mentor's website, mentoring.org. Not only is fun and play a great way to build trust and rapport with a young person, it can also be a great backdrop for conversations. Playing a game or doing a creative activity together can allow for a young person to open up without feeling awkward or uncomfortable. If you are hoping to use play to help facilitate conversations, just make sure to pick games or activities that aren't too mentally demanding or make conversing difficult. You want to be able to have back and forth interactions by playing a game that is less demanding and allows for pauses. You can use fun and play to learn all about a young person and connect in many ways that can help deepen your relationship. Mentor Chat is written and hosted by Sophia Duck and Ashley Wineland with the Mentoring Partnership of Southwestern Pennsylvania. It is produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts. Our music is Cheery Monday by Kevin MacLeod. A special thank you to the Mentoring Partnership team. Thank you to our guests. For more information about us, mentoring, and this episode's topics, take a look at this episode's show notes and visit the Mentoring Partnership's website at www.mentoringpittsburgh.org. Be sure to like and subscribe to Mentor Chat wherever you get your podcasts.